Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. talking about um, discovering your God-given capacity and I want to talk this morning about discovering your potential in the marketplace. Um, I Obviously, the marketplace to us means many different things, but we spend most of our time in the marketplace. There's something like, I don't know what, 168 hours in the week of which we may be, depending on how many children you've got, spend between 36 and 47 hours of sleep, um, and we maybe spend two hours a week here, one service, and uh, maybe the prayer meeting if you come. You know, so more than half of that time during the week, we're in the marketplace, wherever your marketplace is. And I want to continue on in the series that we're talking about, discovering your God-given capacity. And I want to talk about your marketplace this morning. For some, it's their place of work. How many people here are in work? paid work, either part-time or full-time. So for a lot of us, it is. Now, I know that many of you have children, and I know that's full-time work. It's just not paid. (laughs) So um, for you, that's your marketplace, and your marketplace could be the school gates, your marketplace could be in the supermarket queue, your marketplace could be at the bus stop. It could be all sorts of places, but we all have a marketplace. We all have a place where we interact with other people in our day-to-day world. And Jesus never told people, I'll meet you at the synagogue. He never said, come to the synagogue on Saturday or Sunday and I'll meet you there and I'll talk to you about what I do. Practically everything Jesus did was in the marketplace. If we look at what's recorded in in the Gospels, of the 52 parables that Jesus told, 45 of them had a workplace context. And if we look at the 40 miracles that happened in the book of Acts, 39 of them happened in the marketplace. You know, we have an expectation that God's going to do something in here. And of course he is, and we shouldn't not have that expectation. But if 39 of the 40 miracles in Acts were out in the marketplace, we should have an even greater expectation that God's going to do something out there. He's In comparison to what God is doing in here we should have a hundredfold of what God is doing out there. And we've got to get our mindset into gear about who we are and what God has invested in us and what God wants to do with all the people that we come into contact with in our week, wherever that may be and whoever that may be. It may be school, it may be college, it may be university, it may be any, any number of places where you're interacting with people outside of this context. Just about over half of Jesus' teaching arose out of issues that other people posed. Uh, He spoke about divorce, he spoke about loving your enemies, not getting caught up in wealth, he talked about not judging, he talked about how to settle disputes, he talked how to deal with anger. Isn't that what people out in the world want to talk about? Aren't they the kind of things that people struggle with? And I personally think that some people in the world can solve their problems over a pint in the pub far better than Christians can. You know, because they try to resolve. But um, um, over half of what Jesus talked about was the questions that other people posed. 
the other people's struggles, the things that other people had problems with. And in the world that we live in, we should be able to help people with their questions and their problems. It doesn't have to be about Christianity. And I know Anne won't mind me saying this, but 20 years ago, Anne and I worked together and she was my boss. And I didn't tell her for two years. I never mentioned Jesus for two years because I wanted to show her Jesus. I wanted to live Jesus. I wanted to reflect Jesus. And then after two years, she said to me, what is it about you? There's something about you. What is it? And I was able to tell her who it was. And you can see the fruit of that, that two years. You know, people out in the world want to know how to deal with things and how to move on in life. They, look at what everybody's trying out there to deal with life. Yeah. Jesus walked in the marketplace addressing things that people talk to him about. Work in its different forms is mentioned 800 times in the Bible. That is more than all if you add up the times it's mentioned about praise and worship and giving and thanksgiving. You know, Jesus talked in a, in a kind of work context many times. People in Mark, he, they said about Jesus, isn't he the carpenter's son? Yeah, Jesus was a carpenter, he worked. And in John it says, um, Jesus said, my father and I are always working. He's working and I'm working. And in Luke he said, um, why, when, when he was in the temple and his parents were looking for him, he said, why are you looking for me? I'm about my father's work. I'm doing my father's business. So the work that we do, the way we occupy our time, the way we, whatever we do out there, whether it's paid or not paid, the interactions that we have with other people in the world is where God is going to connect with them. Now, yes, of course, some people are going to walk through our doors, but that's going to be tiny, tiny in, amount, in, in number compared to um, the, the number of people that we interact with or could interact with or could speak. And we don't have to... I, in the job I have, I'm not licensed to preach Jesus, but I am licensed to be like Jesus. Yeah. I am licensed to be like Jesus. Everybody knows I'm a Christian at work. Some of them, you know, they say, oh, you're one of these, and I say, yes, I am. <laughs> Isn't it great? <laughs> My boss is funny because she's a backslidden Christian and so she's really lost her faith. But when I take any annual leave, she says, oh, are you going on one of these? <laughs> I say, oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they know and people should know. How should they know? They should know by the way we are. They should know by the values we have. They should know by the way we behave. They should know by the way we are. They should, we should be known for our hard work. We should be known for our integrity. We should be known, and then people will want to know what's different about you. We should be known as people who go the extra mile. We should be known as people who don't um, confront and, and, and cause problems and issues. We should be part of the answer to the world. In every context that we touch, and the potential that God then has in the marketplace, as God invests in us, he expects us to move that, that investment into the world. He hasn't given it so it sits in us, we should be a leaking vessel, leaking out what God is investing us to those people around and about us. In the marketplace, Jesus met all sorts of people that would have never come in the synagogue. The tax collectors, and the blind, and the lame, and the poor, and the marginalised in society. There's a lot of marginalised people in society. And he went and enjoyed hospitality with them. Yeah. When was the last time you sat down with a homeless person and ate a burger? <laughs> You know, he enjoyed hospitality, and as we know, food is always a good connector. Yeah. 
you know, and, <clears throat> and much of our time too is spent there, wherever it might be. And looking back over the last two weeks and the things that Mark has talked about, Mark talked about, um, in the first week, he mentioned that sometimes we don't know what God wants us to do. Sometimes it isn't laid out ahead of us what God wants us to do. Sometimes we're searching for what God wants us to do. But I want to try and really emphasise to you today that everything God wants you to do is already in you. It's already in you. And it's a question of us working out the desires and the gifts and the talents that God has put in us. Now, for me, it was really different. And in just in a minute, I'm going to give you a potted history of my failure in life. Um, and <clears throat> I knew when I was five what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a nurse. I drew, my mum showed me pictures that I'd drawn of nurses in the wards and the beds down the sides pushing the breakfast trolley and out of the mouth was a little bubble and it said porridge or cornflakes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was five when I drew that and my mum gave it to me and that's all I ever thought about. I never thought about anything else. I just thought that's what I would be, that's what I would do. It never occurred to me that I might need some qualifications to do it but that's what I was going to do. <laughs> And I don't remember thinking about anything else. And when I went to school, people used to say to me, well, if you don't, you know, buck up, you're never going to be a nurse because you're not going to get any qualifications. When I was 16, I took six O-levels. We didn't do 10 and 12 in those days. We just did six. And I failed them all. I retook them, all six, and I got one. I retook the five, and I got one more. I retook three, and I didn't get any. And so then I asked my parents if I could leave school. And they said, you can as long as you get a job. Um, and then I said, well, when I'm 18, I'm going to be a nurse. And I think they thought, I don't think so. So I went to Sainsbury's. I got a job on the checkout. And I have to say, that's where I was really educated in life. Um, because a lot of the women I worked with came from the local council estate. And they got this very naive 17-year-old. Um, and they used, to <laughs> they used to take me to Croydon, to the Fairfield Halls, to watch the wrestling on a Tuesday night. <laughs> and, of course, they used to get me drunk and all sorts of other things as well. But, hey, that was my kind of introduction into the big wide world. Um, and uh, so with my two O-levels, I went along to all the hospitals to, to see if I could become a nurse. And, of course, most people didn't want me. But one hospital did, and... I wrote an entrance exam, and on the entrance exam, I got in. So halfway through my three-year training, I wrote my intermediates, and I failed those. And then um, when I got to my finals, um, you know, you can only have three goes at your finals in nursing. So I wrote them the first time, and I failed them. I wrote them the second time, and I failed them. I, wrote, I waited six months, and I wrote them again, and I passed. So after two years, I decided I'd go back again and become a midwife. So I did my one-year training, I wrote my finals, and I failed. <laughs> <laughs> and so three months later, now, I had just become a believer at that time. And so I had already planned to leave the country, as many of you know my story. I then went overseas. I'd already got my ticket to leave the country, and I wanted to qualify. And so I quickly wrote them again three months later, and I passed about a week before I left the country. So I had no practice. So there I was off to Africa um, with my one-week one qualification <laughs> to deliver babies. Anyway. Um, and so um, I kept failing, and I kept failing, and I'd got to the age of 22 by then, 
And I kept failing and I kept failing, but one thing God had instilled in me was never give up. Never give up. I will not give up. There's something that God has instilled in me that if I want something, um, I need to keep going for it until I get it. And uh, when I was 40, then I started studying again. And of course, since then, I've been much more successful and three years ago completed a master's. But <clears throat> what I'm trying to say to you is if you're here this morning and God's put something in your heart and you're not getting there and it's not working, don't give up. Don't give up, because that tenacity that God put in me as a teenager, I was very rebellious as a teenager, but it worked for me, because it just made me gutsy. I'm going to have this, I'm going to get this, I'm going to keep going until I get it. And, and I got it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't look at yourself as the world looks at you. God did not look at me and say, do I want a nurse with two O-levels? He didn't say that. He said, do, do I want someone who's gutsy and who's not going to give up when things get tough? Yes, I do. It's very different. And the way we look at ourselves and the way we look at failure in our lives is really important. You're not a failure if you fall down. You're a failure if you stay down. So get up again. Get up again. And if that speaks to you this morning, get up again and get going again with whatever God has put on you. Because God, we do not have any idea of the potential that God has put in us. And my appraisal last year, my boss wrote in my appraisal, Deborah has greater capacity to lead something bigger than she's doing. How did that come about? How did that come about? Because God, because of God. God saw the potential in me. And God has grown the potential in me. And some things take a lifetime and some things happen quickly. If you're young, then you're on your road of learning. And, and, and I've been in the workplace for 40 years now, and I can see that what I'm doing now is built on everything else I've done. Nothing is wasted. All my failure wasn't wasted in God. God used that. He made, gave me tenacity and strength. And some of the things that you go through in life, which the world would class as a failure, is not a failure in God's eyes. Yeah. He's using it to build something into you to enable you to have greater capacity. There is no inventor ever in history who got it right first time. Failure after failure after failure. Edison spent, took about a thousand attempts to make the light bulb. Did you know that? You know, failure after failure brings success. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, we have to see our failures and the way the world puts us in a totally different context. Psalm 139 says, God has knit us together in our mother's womb. He says he knows our thoughts. He knows us. God knows you. Whether you know him or not, he knows you. He put you together. He put everything. It says all the days ordained for you are written in his book before they ever came to be. God had written a book about me, a chapter about me, before I was even conceived, and you too. And into that, he's put the potential of everything you can be and everything that... God could do with you and in you. All we have to do is, as we sung this morning, is surrender. Surrender. God doesn't look at us in the way that the world looks at us, in terms of qualifications, in terms of abilities and strength. God is building things into us for his kingdom purposes. It's not going to say on my gravestone that I failed all my O-levels and that I eventually got a master's. I want it to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because God looks at things in a totally different way. Yeah. <clears throat> um, in Exodus 2, we read about Moses. And we read about how um, he was brought up in Pharaoh's house. 
but he also saw the suffering of his people. And so when God, and he even tried to rescue one, didn't he? He, he tried to intervene between a Hebrew and an Egyptian and he ended up killing the Egyptian and, and then he ended up fleeing. But he had a heart for his people and their suffering. So when God, further on in Exodus, says, I see the suffering of my people and I need to rescue them, who did he look for? A man who already had it in his heart, who had seen the suffering and had a burden for it. Yeah. You see, God isn't going to say, you know, I want to, I don't know what, I, I want to do something out there in the marketplace, who'll do it for me? He's going to look at us and say, who's already got something in their heart? Yeah. Who's going to have a dream and a desire for me to do something? I'll choose them. Why? Because they won't give up on it. Yeah. It's in them. We all know that it's hard to do things you're not motivated to do. And if you've got a dream and a desire and something birthed in you, you're going to want to fulfill that. And God, he says, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro over the whole earth. God's looking at our hearts. What's in our hearts to do? And God looked at Moses and he said, well, there's a guy who's already seen the suffering of my people. I'll choose him to rescue them. And then when he intervened and met Moses at the burning bush, Moses said, hey, no, you've got the wrong chat. Not me. Not me. And God said, yes, you. It's already in your heart. You don't think you've got the capacity to do it, but in me you do have the capacity to do it, and therefore I'm choosing you. The same was with Gideon. You know, God saw what was in Gideon, and Gideon said, when God said, Gideon, I need you to come and intervene for me, God said, um, uh, sorry, Gideon said, no, 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 not me. I, we're, the, we're the worst, the least clan, excuse me, and I'm the least of the clan. And God said, yeah, that's why I want you. <laughs> That's why I want you, because you're not all puffed up. You're not all smart and big-headed. You're not going to try and do this in your own strength. You've already admitted you can't, so you're just the kind of person I want. I'm choosing you. So let me ask you this morning, what's in your heart to do? What, do you, have you got a dream? Have you got something? Because God will have already put something in you. It says The Bible says he will give us the desires of our heart. Now, that doesn't mean I can desire to have a car like Mark's, and hello, here comes one down the drive. It doesn't mean that. It means he will give me desires in my heart. God put that desire in me to be a nurse when I was conceived. God put that desire in me. What desires have you got already in you to do, to touch, to reach, to be? Is there somebody in your world who keeps coming across your path that God keeps bringing across your path and you're thinking, need to connect to that person. You know, God has already put dreams and desires within us. What is in you? Who do you meet? Who could you speak to? Who could you be like Jesus to? That outside there in the marketplace. Don't underestimate what God can do with you. Dream. Dream out of your ability. Dream out of your inability things that you think are far too big for you, because if you don't dream something that's bigger than you, you'll go off and do it on your own. You've got to dream bigger than yourself. I could never imagine what I'm doing now, and I can't possibly imagine doing something even bigger. My boss thinks I can, but maybe I can, I don't know. Doesn't mean I shouldn't go for it, because God is bringing connection in there. Um, in Proverbs... In Proverbs 3, it says this, in all your ways acknowledge him. 
and he will direct your path. That ways means your course of life and acknowledge him means let him into your plans. So what we could say, in the course of your life, let him into your plans and then he'll direct them. He'll direct them. Maybe they're going in the right direction, maybe they're slightly off a cul-de-sac, but God will direct them as we lay our plans and the course of our life before them. I cannot... It's, I can think of countless occasions when God has brought someone across my path right out of the blue, yeah. which was like a piece of the puzzle I needed to move me into the next thing. God can do that. There was somebody, I can remember years ago, there was somebody on my heart, I hadn't seen them for years, and yet they were on my heart, and I didn't even know whether they were back in this country because I met them in Australia. I didn't know whether they were back here, but they were on my heart, and I kept thinking about them, and then one day I was up the high street, when it used to be the Army and Navy on the corner there. And I was going up one escalator, and blow me if she wasn't coming down the other. I got the shock of my life. God, you've been talking to me about this woman. I didn't even know whether she was back in England. And so I quickly jumped off the escalator and came back down, and we had a conversation. You know, God can do anything. God is in control of all situations. And I was able to connect with her again. Submit your plans. Lay it out before God. Now, last week, I want to pick up on something that Mark said last week because it was really, I was really stirred by what he was talking about with Abraham and Lot. And, um, and, and I want to just take the story back a little bit. And Mark talked about Abraham and Lot when they had to separate because they journeyed together. They had increased so much with um, what they had, with their commodities and their, their flocks and herds uh, particularly, and therefore there wasn't enough grazing and they wanted to separate. And so then Mark brought out the whole thing about the fact that when, um, when, when Abra Abraham said to Lot, you choose which way you want to go, and, and Lot chose for himself. And Mark talked about the fact that Lot took a long look before he chose, and he chose what was pleasing to his eyes, and he chose for himself, and he, he chose what looked good. Um, and, and the consequences of that for him, as we know, that Lot eventually lost everything. But also, I want to look at Abraham, because it says here, after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abraham, look as far as you can see in every direction, north, south, east, and west, and I will give you the land as far as you can see. And Mark talked about that. But I want to also think about this morning is the fact that as far as Abraham was concerned, I don't think it mattered whether he went left or right. He just knew God would be there because he started his journey with God, in God. And I don't think, I think the reason Abraham said, well, Lot, you choose, because to be honest, I don't mind. I'll go this way, I'll go that way. Wherever I go, God will be there. Yeah, yeah. So Abraham had a totally different way of looking. And I truly believe and I trust for my whole life that it doesn't matter whether I go left or right. If I'm in God, yeah. God will be there. So we sh I never have a sense of fear that, God, I might be doing it wrong. Because now, after 40 years of being a believer, nearly, I've got that relationship with God that I know that God is in me. And God knows my heart and my thoughts. And God knows that if I get it wrong, I'll backtrack. So I don't waste time thinking, is it, isn't it? I'm saying, well, God, you put it in my heart. I'm just going to go for it. Make a way or don't make a way, and I'll take that as a green light or a red light. You know? And when we're mature in Christ, we don't have to worry about do we go left or do we go right. We just have to follow what God has put in our hearts to do. And Abraham knew that it didn't matter. He had a totally different way of looking. God was going to be there because he said, wherever you go, 
as far as you can see, uh, that's what I'm giving you. So whether it was as far as he could see to the left or as far as he could see to the right, God would give it to him. Because why? Because of Abraham's heart and Abraham's relationship to God. Whereas for Lot, it was a very different matter because Lot was looking with his eyes. He was looking at what looked pleasant. Oh, this looks nice and green and lush. Let me go this way. This looks a bit more barren. I won't, that won't prosper me. He wasn't thinking about God. And the reason being, and I want to bring, this is my sort of main point this morning, is that I want you to see that there is huge blessing by association. And I think that this is really pertinent to where we are at at the moment. And so Abraham, it says, when they started out on this journey, it says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. And it says Abraham was 75 years old when he departed and he took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered and the people, but they had acquired and they set out on the land to Canaan. Now, Abraham had a calling, but Lot didn't. Lot went with him, it says. Lot went with him. Abraham did the packing. Abraham took everything they had and Lot said, I want to come with you. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, in essence, going with people. I remember I did that when I first left this country. I wanted, oh, God was calling me to go to Zimbabwe, so I knew another family in the church that was going to Zimbabwe, and I said, can I come with you? Because obviously I don't want to be going on my own. And when then I said, when I'm established, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll make my own way. And they said, yes, you can come with us, but we need to know it's God, and so therefore we're not going to do anything to plan for you. You plan and if it fits with us and God brings that together, then we'll take you with us. And that's what happened. And God did plan. And that's why a week before I was due to leave and I had my plane ticket on the 8th of March, 1981, uh, and uh, I'd failed my, my exams, I'm thinking, am I going to get on that plane or am I not? And they're saying, are you coming or are you not? I say, oh, I don't know yet. You know, just wait. I'll write my exams again. So, <clears throat> so um, blessing by association. Now, we know that what happened to Abraham and Lot, um, you can see easily in their substance what happened to them. And if you look at... Um, I'm just going to flick one, two, and then I'll come back to that one. Yes. If you look at what they had in their substance, you can see that when Abraham went out of Egypt, um, he and his wife, and they had, and with Lot into the south, sorry. Um, and Abraham was very rich in cattle and in silver and in gold. And Lot also went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. So what did Abraham have that Lot didn't? Silver and gold. It's very different. They had something very different in their substance. You see, what does silver and gold speak of? It speaks of spiritual things as opposed to material things. So Lot, Abraham, when he separated, he didn't just have material things, he had spiritual investment in his life. Lot had material things and no spiritual investment in his life. And we know that Lot came to ruin. Now, you can journey with people, you can journey with us as a church, but you've got to have your own spiritual investment. You can't ride. You can come in every week and you can enjoy the atmosphere in here. And you can imbibe of that atmosphere. By association, you're going to be blessed. Because God is blessing us. The fact that you come into this atmosphere, you will be blessed. But when push comes to shove, you're not going to prosper. 
because you've got to have a spiritual inheritance of your own. And God, and, and that goes the same for parents and children. You know, your children will imbibe of your spirituality through their upbringing, but at some stage they've got to make their own decision. At some stage, and that's why we have adult baptism, it's, a, it's signifying that that child has now reached an age of understanding to make that commitment for themselves. You cannot ride and expect to prosper on somebody else's spiritual experience. You will be blessed, but ultimately you won't prosper because you will be like a car that runs out of petrol and you will eventually come to a halt. When the chips are down and you're not in here within us to support you and help you and care for you. And that's why when people begin to backslide, they stop coming to church. They stop coming to church because they feel uncomfortable now being in this environment of blessing when actually there's nothing that, it doesn't start to mean anything to them anymore. And so it's really important. Lot did not invest in himself. He only took the investment that he could get from his uncle. And then when they separated, he had no spiritual standing of his own to take with him. He just had a lot of material wealth that he'd built up. But Abraham, being so spiritually grounded, could then say, God, I don't mind, left or right, wherever, it's going to be with you. So, why do we need to know this then? Because it says in um, Ephesians, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united to him, with him. We are blessed because of our association with Christ. There is so much that we can have in our lives because we are associated with him. Because Jesus is blessed, we are blessed. Because we are a part of his family, we are naturally blessed. There are things that will come into our world and come into our life for us to distribute, if you like, into the marketplace because of our association with Jesus Christ and because of our understanding and reputation of knowing him as we do. Even greater is this, it says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. If we want Bromley, which is our marketplace, if you like, for our church, if we want Bromley to prosper, then we need to be prospering. Because the Bible says as we prosper, they will prosper by association of the fact that we're here. And so therefore, our prospering is going to naturally infect the area around us. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. If we really want to do something for Bromley, in Bromley, or I live in Croydon, wherever your borough is, then we need to be prospering in Christ. And I'm not talking about financial prospering necessarily, although that's a part of it. I'm talking about spiritual prospering. I'm talking about who we are to our borough, to our neighbourhood, because by association, now equally your marketplace, if you're at work, your place of employment will be blessed because you're there. And I know, and I'm not saying this in any kind of boastful way because there are many Christians where I work, but we prosper because of the Christians. We prosper because of the believers. Why do we prosper? Well, because we meet to pray because we ask God's blessing on the decisions that are made, on the finance that we need to come in. And we, we pray for our organisation that God will bless it, but it's blessed because we're there. And I am blessed because I ride on that reputation. 
So in your workplace, wherever you are, wherever there is a huge blessing by association. The very fact that you're there, being a Christ-likeness, will bring blessing into that place. And you are the light and the salt in your environment, in your place of work. God needs people everywhere. He needs people on the buses, he needs people in the supermarkets, as well as in the hospitals and the schools and the lawyers and the milkmen and everywhere. God needs his people in every place so that he can bring blessing by the fact that you're there, by your association with that place and by your association with God. So by God prospering us, other people can prosper. Now, if you're new to BCC and you have only been here for a short month, you are going to prosper because of what we've done over the last two years. We've been on a journey, and some of us have been on a much longer journey. Um, and all of you who are coming into the church now are going to be able to ride on the prosperity of what we have already achieved over the last two years. Five years, ten years, twenty years. This church has been here over 80 years. We stand on the shoulders of the people who've gone before to move things on. And you don't have to learn what we've just spent two years learning to bring about change in this place. You just come in now and enjoy it. Come in and enjoy the fruits of what we're doing and help us to move it on and take it further. And that's why I think the position we're in now is so important with Mark's new appointment. Because by association now, we have just enlarged our church 550 times because there's something like 550 AOG churches in the UK. So Mark's appointment now to the national team has now enlarged our church and connected us directly with 550 other churches in the UK by association. We are also now associated with a group of national leaders and the sphere of influence and the opportunity to join all those resources is incredible. The opportunities now are endless by associating with others. And unless we, if we see this as Mark's job, we have missed it. This is not Mark's job. This is Mark's association to enable us to grow. And we need to obviously support Mark because he's got a greater workload now. But by association now, God has opened up a massive door for us of resource and for them, because we're part of their resource, they're part of our resource, um, for God to do something. Now, why do you think God chose us to do it? I think because we've been on a journey of showing God that that's the kind of thing we're looking for. Now, I'm not saying Mark was looking for that appointment. I'm sure he wasn't. But God is looking at what we're doing in, um, in um, Macedonia. God is looking at what we're doing within the Balkans. God's looking at our heart. God's looking at who we're connecting with. And I believe now God has just connected us to a massive big thing. And who knows what's going to come out of that. But we need to start dreaming. We need to start seeing that, God, you're causing us to cross paths with this one and with that one and with that one. What does that mean? What does that mean? We've got a massive connection now within um, AOG UK. Now, I'm not denominational-minded. It could be called whatever it's like, whatever you like. I'm seeing it as a kingdom connection. This is God joining us 
to other people within the kingdom. And within all those 550 other churches, God, I'm just, I can't fathom. I just wish I could kind of look down and say, God, where are all the dots that we need to join with? Because you see the hearts of all the people in all those churches. And you're doing something so big in our nation. And doesn't our nation need it? This is part of God's plan. To join us together for influence and for association. So that God can draw... We don't need to have... And I'm not saying we don't need a new building. I'd love one. But we don't need to have a 5,000-seater auditorium here. We maybe need something bigger than we've got because God is joining the dots all over the country. Now, joining us together in association with us able to have influence. And they influence for us as well. So God has just multiplied the church in such a huge way. And there may be that you have got associations with people that God's going to use too. I can remember three years ago, my boss at work used to say to me, I want you to go to this meeting in London. I want you to go to this meeting up in Birmingham. I want you to go. And I'm going, no, 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 no. That's way big. Those shoes are far too big for me. I won't have a clue what I'm talking about. And she's saying, well, you're going anyway. <laughs> and so I started going to all these meetings with people who, were, who I felt intimidated by, believe it or not, um, because, of who, because of who, basically because a lot of them were academics. And you can probably understand that. But, um, and, and now, three years on, I'm thinking, yeah, they're fine. They're just chicken feed. They're like me. <laughs> you know, I can deal with them. You know, at the end of the day, they go to bed like I do. They go to the toilet like I do, you know. <laughs> Who are they? <laughs> God can bring people across your path by association, spiritually, which is going to fulfill his plan and purposes within the kingdom of God. And, it, and a lot of it's not going to happen in here. You know, I have people phone me up at work from all over the place. Somebody phoned me up the other day who, by association again, um, had heard about what I was doing and is doing some presentations on Radio 3. And, um, and so um, she wanted to interview me, which she did. She's now going to do a reading for Radio 3, which I'm going to go up to, and then it's going to be on Radio 3 um, in March, and it's all about the state of care in this country. And so, you know, how did that come about? How did this woman hear of me? You know, God has, uh, the government have been planning reviews in care and I've been interviewed by several people over the last two or three years to contribute toward government reports in care in this country. How did that happen? How did that happen? It happened by association. It happened because there was something in my heart that I wanted it to happen and God saw that the people who had influence in those spheres made their way to my phone. And God will do that for you if there's something in your heart that you want to do. God will bring the connections. Mark can tell you over and over and over again how God has connected him to people that he would have never even dreamed of. But once you start seeing the significance of the people in your marketplace that God wants to use you with and them with you, you can start to see God is joining up the dots all over the place. And if we are mature in Christ... It doesn't matter whether we go left or whether we go right. God will make it happen because our hearts are to move. Um, last week, Murray, um, Mark mentioned Robert Murray McShane and I'd never heard of him, so I thought I'd better look him up. And he was born in 1813 and he died when he was 29. However, he did enough in those years for us to still remember him now. But he said this. He said, he didn't say that, he said this. 
Above all things, he said, cultivate your own spirit. It is not great talents that God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. All God is asking is that we become like Jesus. God's not asking you to be, he's asking you to give your best, but God does not look at us in the way that the world looks at us. He just says, be like me, reflect me into the world, into your marketplace, be my reflection so that people can say, what is it about you that motivates you, that drives you, that I see your face shining. <laughs> you know, when Moses came, when Jesus or somebody came down from the mountain with a shining face, Moses, you know, they couldn't look at him because he reflected the glory of God. You know, we should be so spiritually mature that we reflect the glory of God, that we just, you know, I've still got a lot to learn in this area, but it's the direction that we should be going in that we reflect Jesus to those around us. It's no accident that you're where you are. So many people think that the church is full of hypocrites and they're not going to come in here. So you need to have an opportunity to show them in your marketplace that um, what church is really like, what God is really like. We need to be real and genuine. Don't be wacky. Don't be wacky and talk some spiritual gobbledygook that people don't understand. You know, be real. I never say the word Jesus at work, but I'm incredibly spiritual. And that's because it wouldn't be appropriate because I'd get my hand slapped because I'm not employed to preach the gospel. But I am employed to have a great likeness of Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> so don't be wacky. Don't talk some spiritual jargon. Don't start talking about speaking in tongues and all these other kind of things that people think are weird. Talk about what they want to talk about. Talk about where they're at, what they're struggling with. Half of what Jesus spoke about were other people's issues, bringing them to a place of understanding. We have to believe in ourselves. Jesus talked in an ordinary way, but he did extraordinary things because of who he was. And we have to believe in ourselves. We have to believe in what God has invested in us. We are the answer. We're not the problem. And the potential in us is unfathomable. And the potential now for us being connected to the national team in the way that we are, it's unfathomable. It is unfathomable what God can do. Now, <clears throat> I'm just finishing with this, but you know we all watched the rugby last year, the World Cup. And um, I watched Uruguay and Australia, and just before they went out on, the tea, out on the field, the manager of Uruguay team said this, we may lose the match, but we're going out there as winners. I thought, good on you. And if any of you watch that, Uruguay didn't sit there and go, oh, okay, well, we're going to lose anyway. So what the heck, you know, here you are, have the ball. Man, they went out there like winners. That really spoke to me. Am I living my life like a winner? Are you living your life like a winner? Because, yes, we might lose some battles, but we're going to win the war. You know, every time I fall down, I just have to dust myself off and think, for goodness sake, get up. What are you doing down there? Get up. Get up and get going again. You know, we may lose the match, but we're going out there as winners. How do you face life? How do you face challenges? God has deposited something in you to enable you to, to, to get up again and to keep moving. Do you see yourself as a winner? Mark spoke last week about the importance of reading the word. 
And I'm thinking about this, and I, you know, we know that this word is living and active. We know that God says that it will accomplish what it says it will accomplish. And I thought to myself, how does that work? And I thought of an illustration. You know, if you want to marinate a piece of meat, you put it in the juices, don't you? And you leave it there for sort of 24 hours. And then when you come to eat it, it tastes like the juice because you've marinated it. And we need to marinate ourselves in the Word. You know, as we, day by day, we read of the Word and we marinate, hello, suddenly I start to smell like the Word. I start to taste like the Word. I start to be like the Word. You know, I, don't tell me you're trying to be a good Christian. Stop trying and just marinate. I don't try to be a good Christian. I try to marinate myself in the Word so it starts to become infused in me. So that the more I read it and the more I saturate myself in it, the more it starts to come out because God has the power over his word. God, it's God's responsibility to see that his word doesn't return to him void, but it accomplishes that which he says. It's my responsibility to get it into me and to marinate myself in it so that I start to become infused by it. You know, church, could you come back? Thank you. Um, as a mature believer in Christ... Those around us can be blessed because of association. And, uh, and <clears throat> Lot, through his association with Abraham, both directly and indirectly received blessings from God. Our marketplace, our marketplace can be blessed because of us. And our marketplace can bless us. And by association with each other and with what is God is doing, but we've got to have our own spiritual journey. We've got to have our own spiritual substance in the walk that we have. Amen.